Welcome to the Soul Space Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Soul Space Podcast. This is part two of uh, uh, of an interview I'm doing that I'm, I've been so excited about, for honestly, for weeks about this one. So I have Mike Tegas and Frank Sharp from ProPublica. This is the, the DevOps team, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, th- these guys are who my team at SoulSpace works with on a regular basis to you know just take care of the ProPublica.org website. And uh, where we left off when we were talking a minute ago was we were talking about the, um, uh, the DevOps architecture that allowed you guys to um, launch the new version of the website, which is a Craft 3 version of the website, to launch it gradually. So instead of flipping a switch and saying, okay, all the traffic's headed over to the new server, or the new server stack or whatever, um, instead you're saying, okay, the about section's up and running now. Uh, let's let it run for a couple of days and see how it goes and then flip the switch on another section of the site. So we were getting into how that works. And we were talking about how a lot of that depends on Cloudflare and, and some of their capabilities, um, You know, including some of the stuff that you can do out at the edge. You were saying you... You guys are running, there's a, just a JavaScript um, application that runs out on the edge. Uh, so what does edge mean with respect to a CDN and Cloudflare? Um, Mike, can you can you talk about what, what that means? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, basically, it's like a CDN uh, basically works as a reverse proxy that, you know, caches, uh, you know, your content, uh, provides you some security from DDoS attacks and whatnot. And most of them also make things faster for end users by having, you know, servers closer to your end users. So, you know, there's there's probably like one in New York, you know, one in California, one in Chicago, you know, a bunch sort of all over the world. Um, and so like these, these are like the edge points of Cloudflare's network or whoever your CDN's network is. Um, and while like, you know, Amazon has uh, cloud front, which is basically like a proxy for S3 and that, that has CDN like properties, like most things that aren't Cloudflare I've found are just, you know, relatively bare bones. You know, they just, they just do caching at those edge points and that's about all you can do. Um, and so we've taken, you know, serious advantage of the fact that Cloudflare has all these features that you can you can run on their edges. How much help did you get from the Cloudflare team to set these things up? Uh, I think like, I mean, mo- most of the work really happened with the help of uh, Happy Cog. And I think we only really went to Cloudflare when we were running into issues where, you know, an API wasn't responding the way we thought it would. Oh, yeah. Okay. One of the problems that I, I have with Cloudflare is that, I mean, they have these enterprise programs where you can take a really large organization like yours and you can sign up for a higher level of, uh, you know, higher level of, of their services and support and stuff, but I really haven't needed it. I've got a lot of clients running on this of all different sizes, and we've never really needed that higher level of support. Like a lot of a lot of pretty big sites are running on a $20 a month program through Cloudflare. Just that that's perfectly fine for the needs there. Um, but anyway, we're spending so much time plugging Cloudflare and HappyCog. <laughs> now, I, we, why don't we spend some time plugging AWS? How are you guys using AWS? I mean, is it really standard, just a bunch of EC2 instances with auto scaling? Or what's going on there? Oh, man. 
<laughs> so, oh, so, 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 yeah, so <laughs> back in the day, that is basically what we were doing. Um, our expression engine site was, I don't even think that was AWS, but, um, you know, it was just a standard PHP server, you know, running the lamp stack. Um, all of our stuff nowadays basically runs inside Docker containers on top of Amazon ECS, which is their plastic, uh, oh man, what is that? <laughs> um, it's like the elastic cluster something. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a way for Amazon to, you know, given like a handful of EC2 servers, um, I want to launch, you know, three containers, like three servers of our website. And then the ECS system just decides which EC2 boxes it spins those up into. So, you know, our, our server capacity is, is defined by our EC2 boxes, but our software capacity is basically defined by like these containers, um, which helps, you know, in the sense that like, you know, we have the craft queue worker, you know, stuff like that, that runs sort of separate from our site. We have our craft control panel in a separate set of containers so that we try to minimize how much our um, inbound traffic affects our producer's ability to make changes in craft. Um, does that answer? Yeah, that? that's a good. Yeah. That's a good answer. And you're actually touching on something that is a pretty common problem with a, um, a high traffic craft site, where or any CMS for that matter, where um, you, you get this need early on to separate the editorial flow and and that experience and that and that sort of usage of of the website from the the front end experience for presenting that content or presenting the the application um, separating those out so you're using the aws architecture to uh, to break those apart so that your editors are interacting with the database separately from uh, the the general well it would be cloudflare in this case because cloudflare comes back and says hey can i can I have a copy of this page? I want to put it in KV. I want to put it in the in the key value store. Um, so you you separated that out. What are you doing at the database level? Uh, right now, we're basically just using um, Amazon RDS, and we have the big main you know rewrite box for you know the main database for our site, um, and then we do have like a read replica of that, but. Uh, I think most things are still actually working off of the main main box. Frank, do you do you want to jump okay. in and sort of go into that a bit? Yeah, that's 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 true. I think some of the the work that is still ahead of us is is doing some of the segregation that we do have on the um, on the application layer, doing that uh, on the data layer as well. So it's it's the job, it's the responsibility of our. RDS to be able to scale uh, and and respond and be resilient and reliable. That's like a problem that you've handed off to to Amazon, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we're, we're using yeah. their like Aurora database, which is their special version of MySQL or their special version of Postgres, um, and it, okay. it's supposed to help handle that a bit. Okay. Um, so let me let me see the, in in the key value store. Is it just a one-to-one -one relationship between a URL and a full block of HTML, or are you breaking it up into smaller bits? 
yeah no mitchell you've got the right of it it's a it's a one-to-one there so the uh the the url is more or less the key uh and the the value is its content plus a little okay extra metadata um i mean you could you could do it in other ways so that you're storing less information but i mean it's there's so much space that why why bother i, I mean how are you charged for the kv piece it looks like from what i could see looking at the cloudflare site you're you're charged for usage, similar to the Amazon AWS model. You're charged for what you use. Um, you know, I, I'd imagine it's negligible. So maybe there's not really been any motivation to change that part of the system. That's in fact, we have had to go back and make some make some adjustments based on um, uh, based on how how they're charging uh, for things and just using it in a, a sort of smarter way. So we have gone back and made some adjustments. Um, to sort of try and drop our our Cloudflare okay. bill a, a little bit. Um, so then the the use of Docker, um, how, you know, I, I I use Docker as a utility sometimes too, and um, sometimes I'm stymied by it because I don't have the ch- the skills to troubleshoot. Is it just one image that you're using, or do you have a bunch of different images that represent different uh, states of the site, or or that kind of thing? Uh, basically, I mean, it's, I think we basically have like, you have it split into three images and it's basically the, the web serving part of the site, a separate image for the, uh, control panel only copy of the site. And then another one for the, the craft task worker that we have. Okay. Um, so I, I mean, it feels like we've got a pretty comprehensive view of the st- stack that you have in place. Um, the, one of the most fascinating parts is how the edge does the job of deciding um, and responding to the request from a user in a browser. Um, that's that's pretty incredible. How fast is that? We haven't noticed any like added latency for, you know, from having this system in place in front of us. So I, I mean, it seems like a place where, it, you know, Maybe it doesn't matter, but if, if there's some optimization that can take place in that JavaScript itself, because it's um, used so heavily, like you're, you're taking that one little snippet and you're multiplying it, you know, a million or a billion times, depending on the, what span of time you look at, you know, the tiniest little changes you can make in that. Um, I, maybe, it, maybe it hasn't mattered, but that's, that's really fascinating that you have it distributed that way. Yeah, to- totally. I, I, and uh... For what it's worth, the uh, we found that the the Cloudflare's uh, response f- from the edge is mm. pretty fast. Uh, we could definitely get, you know get it faster and make our workers you know tighten up the code in the workers. I'm sure, um, but it is remarkably faster, as you can imagine, than uh, the same request going all the way to um, AWS yeah. and back to, yeah, to the origin. Um, you know, there's there's kind of a, a, a movement in the web development industry of having headless CMSs, and you're you're kind of describing a headless CMS, it, um, a, a really different sort of advanced version of the concept where you're taking the editing and authoring tool, letting that be a separate animal that only a handful of people touch, and then the work that happens there pushes into another set of storage places, uh, and it, and that gets distributed, and you go as static as you can with uh, with the HTML 
cutting out as many dynamic pieces as you can. Um, but but that's another thing to talk about. I mean, aren't there dynamic components of the website? You have forms on there. I mean, people can submit a contact form. One of the most important aspects of your uh, your system, the ProPublica.org business model, is you you take tips. Like you have incoming um, tips on stories or uh, people offering them uh, themselves as sources and that sort of thing. How you know at the web developer DevOps level, how how is that handled? Right. So we have a, a couple different mechanisms uh, in play to allow uh, for dynamic uh, content on the site. Um, uh, some of it is, uh, you know, it's simple uh, JavaScript AJAX calls get uh, are invoked after, uh, you know, after the, the site has been rendered. So uh, in those instances, it's sort of after, uh, you know, the the page load uh, is when those dynamic elements get there. Um, and then there are other places where it made more sense to just create little carve outs in the cache. So um, uh, such that, uh, you know, some stuff uh, will drop through that KV layer um, and uh, and get served directly uh, some bits okay. of dynamic content. Well, what's an example? Um, so, uh, there are, um, you know, we have a number of carve outs that are in there. Um, there is, uh, some of the modules that live on the, on the page, uh, like for example, we have a little module that, um, um, uh, suggests articles to read next based on the current article that you're on. Uh, so that little bit is dynamic and, uh, that. Uh, little bit is is uh, dropping through uh, through the cache there. Um, there are you know of course uh, we want all of the uh, you know anytime our producers or the folks that are um, creating the pages anytime that they're uh, viewing the site we want it so that their requests are dropping through the cache so that they're not seeing. You know, stale versions of a page um, as they're actively right. making changes to it, right? Oh, so right. that's another sort of uh, one of one of the carve outs there. Is that is that is that a, you checking on, on a cookie to see if someone is is in that mode, right. or yes. how do you do that? Yeah. So in that instance, we're we're looking at the cookie as well as a couple okay. other things to make sure that they're, um, uh, yeah, they're authorized. Well, where is the cookie check happening? Is that that JavaScript at the edge? Exactly. Yep. Wow, that's that's fat. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, we cut or covered a lot of the architecture pieces that I wanted to ask about. I mean, you'd think I'd know about all this stuff because you know my team is part of the web development group over that helps you guys out. But this is, you know, you've got a few people from my team who've been the leads on your project, and I kind of sit in the background until something bad happens. So it's been fun to be able to ask really dumb questions and get some get some answers that I've been wondering about. So I was going to define terms. We know what a Baconator is. It's this system that includes this edge JavaScript piece that's handling the request coming in. Um, and baking means, what does baking mean? Um, Frank, you said that over and over again during the launch. Okay, I think I'll bake this section now. I'm going to spin that off and let that process run. I'll check on it in three or four hours. What, is, what, what does that mean? Right. So to assist with, um, with the launch, uh, you know, I mentioned in uh, the previous installment uh, of the podcast that the, um, 
the Workers KV uh, has an API uh, that allows you to proactively push data to that caching layer. Uh, and so we built out a number of tools to, uh, to do that for us. So one of them is the, uh, the plugin and the CMS will bake a page. So if you hit save on a, on a, uh, on a story in the CMS, it will bake out the page. Uh, and then we have a number of like command line tools that will say take a flat file of URLs and just go through them and request them from your site and bake them out um, and a number of sort of permutations on that. Yeah, I mean, baking baking content is like not a unique to us thing. I mean, it's I mean, basically like what we have done is turned our craft site into something that's yes, yeah, as you mentioned, slightly headless, like like Jekyll or whatever. And, and you know, those systems basically take your content, you know, whatever dynamic system it's in, do all the rendering to them, which I guess basically is the baking, you know, and then it puts it somewhere. So. Um, which is also kind of weirdly in a roundabout way where the Baconator name came from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this terminology is so funny. It just keeps, especially when you're under pressure, something's breaking and you have to tell someone else, hey, why don't you check the Baconator? Um, you know, you just have, have that, you take the edge off that way. That's, that's one thing I like about that naming termino terminology. Um, at the risk of totally changing the subject, uh, we're going to be headed into the out-of-time space here. But I want to ask what an Onion browser is, Mike. Oh, man. Yeah, so outside of ProPublica, I do some work um, on digital security, uh, online anonymity, censorship circumvention. So I, I do some work with the Tor project, which makes uh, you know the Tor browser for you know, people know it as the dark web and whatnot. Um, so I, I work on Onion Browser, which is the, like, an iPhone version of that. So how, how does that work? Like, if I had it on, have it on my, on my phone and I go and I want to pull up a site, um, I mean, how, how is that? I, I don't get it at all. How's that, how's that traffic routed? How do you route into the, into the Tor system or, or whatever the case may be? Yeah, Tor basically works where... Um, your computer's aware of like all the relays out there in the world. Your computer picks three, sort of wraps up your traffic three times, you know, shoots it off to the first relay. It decrypts the first layer, sees that it's supposed to go, you know, sees what the second destination is, ships it off there. The third hop opens it up, sees that, okay, now I'm trying to access, you know, like propublica.org. And so like the third hop visits propublica.org. Um, and so the, you know, it protects you, the end user, because, you know, if, if you're just sort of like doing research or if you're reading something that, um, I mean, you know, mostly for countries where they like lock down the internet, you don't want your service provider to know what website you're going to, or in the other, you know, in the inverse case for us journalists, we sometimes don't want the website that we're visiting to know that it's us visiting them. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's like, it's a system that sort of accomplishes that. Um, and Tor also has some extra features to yeah, get around uh, censorship, get around website blocking, that that kind of thing. How long have you been working on that? Uh, maybe like eight years. Yeah, about like a year or two before I joined ProPublica. I, I was like just messing with that stuff on the side. 
Mike, where did you work before ProPublica? Uh, so I worked at a small newspaper in Spokane, Washington, called the Spokesman Review. And so I was uh, at that like regional newspaper for maybe four years on and off, um, helping actually work on their CMS. Well, how did ProPublica find you? Uh, I ended up getting a Mozilla Open News Fellowship um, in 2013. And that's that's kind of how I came over to ProPublica. And then, like, luckily, I was hired on to ProPublica when I fellowship ended. Oh, nice. Frank, how about, how about you? How, where were you before ProPublica? Uh, so prior to ProPublica, I worked for uh, BNP Paribas, uh, which is a French corporate investment bank. Um, I was, uh, yeah, on their sort of large, sprawling IT staff. So something quite different uh, than what I do now. Uh, well you know we we cover a lot of good material and uh, we can i think we can wrap it up here i just want to say thank you to to the both of you check in with how how you guys are with the lockdown and um, the shelter in place and everything how are how are things going being stuck at home with the families frank how are you guys doing uh we're doing all right i suppose as well as uh everybody else out there a little bit of cabin fever um, but yeah, yeah, kids are rolling with the punches. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, how about you? You holding up all right? It's been uh, funny because I like literally just like in the middle of all this move oh, that's from right. New York city out to, <laughs> out to South central Pennsylvania. So like in, in the middle of this lockdown, I'm, you know, figuring out how to get like a rental truck, trying to figure out, you know all that stuff. But I actually just finished driving a truck with like all the rest of my stuff this past Saturday. So I think I'm like finally ready to just hunker down. <laughs> <laughs> what, what prompted that move? Uh, so I, so like my lease was up at the end of April um, and I was moving out to the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area because uh, my partner moved out here. Okay. Well, I'm glad it's I'm glad it's largely done. Um, moves mm-hmm. moves are always stressful. That's ridiculous having to do it at this time. Um, <laughs> it's always, and, and I, <laughs> at the same time at the same time as we're trying to launch, uh, you know, craft craft V three. <laughs> exactly. That's why that's why Frank's calm demeanor was so annoying this whole time. Like Frank, are you sure? Are you sure we can do this? Uh, yeah, probably probably gonna be fine. What our our traffic is double, sometime quadruple. Are you sure it's okay? Yeah, it's, I think it's gonna be just fine. All right, I'm not talking to Frank anymore. He's too annoying. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for talking about um, the this architecture you guys have set up. I mean the the website just just screams it's fast it's reliable it's stable it's really impressive what you guys have done and the fact that you could launch this new version of the site um, gradually a little bit at a time and not have that one launch day where okay it's 11:52. this is our time we're flipping the switch not having to do that i love that piece i'm so glad we got to talk about that so frank mike thanks for being on yeah thanks for having us mitchell it's been a pleasure You've been listening to the Soul Space Podcast.